I'd like to have a moment with the children. And if you are here in the sanctuary, come join me up here. And if you're worshiping from home, just move a little closer to your screen and we will wave to you. Good morning, good morning. Good to see all of you. Are you good? Me too, I'm good too. Wow, this is wonderful. What a big group we have today. I'm so happy to see all of you, each and every one. One of the things that we talk about in church, and if you go to Sunday school, I'm sure you talk about it sometimes in Sunday school, is prayer and how to pray. And you know what? There are so many different ways to pray. Sometimes we say a prayer when we sit down to eat. We say grace to thank God for the food. Sometimes we close our eyes and close our hands to be really still and focus on God. Sometimes we pray while we're walking. Sometimes we pray while we're dancing. We pray when we're together in worship. Anytime at all, we can pray and we can talk to God. One of the things that helps me to pray is to close my eyes and imagine that Jesus is sitting right next to me and to just talk to him like a friend. And then I can say anything I need to say and know that Jesus is right there with me. We just heard a story about Zacchaeus. Any of you heard of Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. Did you ever sing that song? If you come to Vacation Bible School, I bet you'll learn that song. But he was kind of lonely. There were a lot of people who didn't like Zacchaeus very much. And really, he wasn't always a very nice person. But Jesus came to town and offered to be his friend. And that changed Zacchaeus' life. He started being nice to people, and he realized that God loved him. And so I think about Jesus sometimes as a friend, and I hope that you will too, and that you'll take any time you need to just to sit down and talk to him in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for being our friend, that you love us no matter what. And when we feel lonely or scared or happy, we can always talk to you and know that you'll love us no matter what. Help us to be more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, if you're three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Maggie and Chris, Mr. Chris. Two. You're three. Good. Well, you get to go to Children's Church. And if you're older than that or younger than that, you can go back and sit with family or friends. Four and a half. You fit right in to Children's Church. Some of you know that we spent the past week on spring break visiting colleges with our child who's a junior in high school. So we all saw all different kinds of campuses and different kinds of experiences, and it was a lot of fun, at least for me. Brought back a memory one afternoon as we were walking through the student union at one of the campuses, and I was also thinking about the sermon this Sunday and the third baptismal vow that a memory came to me of an afternoon in college when I was walking through the student union and there were two students I'd never met before who came up to me and said, hey, can we ask you a question? I said, sure. And their question was, 
do you have a relationship with Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And I sort of stood there with my mouth open because I had grown up in the church. I was born into the Methodist church, was baptized as a baby. Um, I had been confirmed. Even at the age of eight at my family camp meeting, I had walked down the center aisle of that church and, and told Jesus that I wanted to follow him for the rest of my life. As a young child, I had a deep sense of God's presence in my life and that God was one I could talk to and, and who loved me. And so the answer to their question, I believed, was yes, but I'd never been asked it in that way, in that kind of setting by total strangers. And so I think I said something like, yes, I, I'm Methodist, and then went on my way with my bagel chips back to my dorm room. I wonder if any of you have ever had that experience. Have a stranger come and ask you something like that, a deep question about the faith and your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I understand that the, the folks who approached me did so with, with good intentions and from a heart of, and a place of love, but my experience in that moment was that I felt judged. I felt that they didn't know me or really want to know me, but just to know if I fit into the box of the way they understood a Christian should be. And it didn't feel like I was being invited into a loving community. And yet here we are on this Sunday as we've made our way through the baptismal vows and we land on this third question and it sure does sound a lot like their question. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord. We hear this question a lot. We have a lot of baptisms these days in our congregation, which is such a blessing. We reaffirm our own answers to these questions at least once a year in the service of reaffirmation of baptism. And so as a community who know and love one another, not strangers to one another, we do ask this question and we respond. But what does it mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me to say that Jesus Christ is my Savior and that I trust wholeheartedly in His grace and that I promise to serve Him and Him alone as my Lord? It might help us to think about what the word save means. When it appears in the New Testament, the word has a rich meaning that, that can be liberate, it can mean rescue, it can mean heal or make whole. So how are we saved by God through Jesus? To help us dig into that question, we have before us today the story of Zacchaeus. At the end of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, he announces that today salvation has come to this house. He says that Zacchaeus has been saved. So what is it that Zacchaeus has been saved from and what is he saved for? How is Zacchaeus saved by Jesus? And might that give us a clue about how Jesus is saving us too? What do we know about Zacchaeus? Not much, except that he was small. He was short of stature. We know that he was a chief 
tax collector, and he was rich. Now that tells us a lot about Zacchaeus. You may know that the Roman Empire occupied the land of Judea, the town of Jericho. And so people were living under the thumb of empire. And the empire would tax the Jews as a way of keeping them in line, keeping them oppressed. And the tax collectors were often fellow Jews who collaborated with the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people. And often they would charge extra. The Roman government didn't care really how much they charged as long as the government got what they wanted. And so the tax collectors could get rich off the oppression of their own people. And for Zacchaeus to be a chief tax collector and rich, it meant that he was very deeply involved in this oppressive system that was keeping his own people under the thumb of empire. You can only imagine how his neighbors felt about him. He was not well-liked or trusted. So it could be, and this is speculation, it could be that Zacchaeus was also a little lonely, a little outcast. Maybe he held on tightly to his riches because that was the one thing that, that gave him a sense of worth in his life. We don't know his reasons for becoming a chief tax collector, but I can imagine it was complicated. And there was a lot of animosity coming towards Zacchaeus. The only other thing we know is that he was just a little curious about Jesus. For whatever reason, he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus was passing through town, and there are other places in the scriptures where Jesus is accused of being a friend to tax collectors. Maybe that word had gotten to Zacchaeus, and he wanted to see this prophet, this teacher who was a friend to tax collectors. And so, because he is short of stature, he climbs up in a tree just to get a peek at Jesus. Just on the sidelines, doesn't want to engage in any way, just wants to see. And before he knows it, there's Jesus. Right there. The foot of the tree. And he looks up and he calls Zacchaeus by name. How did he know Zacchaeus' name? makes me think he knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. He knew Zacchaeus' story. He knew how much everybody hated Zacchaeus. And yet of all the people in Jericho, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus and invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. Hurry and come down, Zacchaeus, for I must stay at your house today. Now that word stay is also translated sometimes dwell or abide. Zacchaeus, I must abide with you. Jesus seems to be inviting Zacchaeus into a relationship, a friendship, where Zacchaeus is known by his name and not by his title of chief, chief tax collector, where Jesus is not afraid to come into his home, even given his reputation and given some of his misdeeds or whatever he has been or has done. Jesus just offers himself in relationship. And Zacchaeus scrambles down from the tree and is happy, thrilled to welcome Jesus. He welcomes Jesus into his home, into his life, into his heart. And there is a relationship and overflowing grace. 
And out of that encounter, Zacchaeus is transformed. He is liberated from this oppressive system that he's been participating in. For he gives half of his possessions to the poor. And if he's defrauded anyone of anything, he'll pay it back four times over, which is well beyond what the law would require. Now he knows who he is. Because Jesus looks at everyone in the crowd and says, he too is a child of Abraham. He too is a child of God. And now it's no longer his money or his title or his success or his loneliness or his outcastness that tell him who he is. It is his relationship with God through Jesus that has saved him, has liberated him, has healed him, has made him whole, has restored him to the community. And now he can live his life in a new way. So the question for us is, how does Jesus do the same with us? Perhaps we can imagine ourselves up in that sycamore tree with all of the weight that we carry, the labels. Perhaps we recognize in Zacchaeus our own tendency to cling to our possessions or our status or our achievements to tell us who we are. Perhaps we can identify with his loneliness and his sense of being outcast and unworthy to be part of the community. Whatever it is that that wants to tell us who we are, may we instead hear this morning the voice of Jesus calling us by name. Not looking at our titles or our deeds or all the things, but seeing us just as we are and inviting himself into our lives in relationship. Through these other baptismal vows, we have explored what it means to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, this cosmic experience that we're all part of, what it means to resist injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, what it means to try and build the kingdom of God in the world around us. And we are about that work together, and there's so much work to do. We all come today weighed down with with grief and pain and anxiety about what is happening in our world, from Ukraine to the streets of Nashville. And we know we have work to do. But this third baptismal vow reminds us that we cannot do that work without the living, loving, vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ that can empower us and remind us again and again who we are and give us what we need to be transformed and to transform the world. And so my friends, in these next few moments, as Matt plays some contemplative music for us, I invite you to consider for yourself Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? And do you promise to serve him and him alone as your Lord?